going on, everybody? It's your buddy, it's your pal, Spaz Phoenix, the YWC Reality Check, and this is NXT Rewind. We are back to talk about NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 2015. This was, I think, the flagpole moment in the history of TakeOver. This is where we really established what most people would have thought of when you think about NXT TakeOver. This was out of full sale. This was the big crowds. This was, can we take this brand on the road? So let's get into it. August 22nd, 2015, in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. It doesn't have, like in Full Sail, the Wikipedia attendance of 400 plus. Wikipedia lists this event as 15,589. Rich Brennan, Corey Graves, and Byron Saxton on commentary. The theme for this show was We Like It Loud by Sleeping With Sirens. Bunch of stuff. Bunch of brand new things going on here. First takeover out of the Performance Center. The first take... It would be the first of many takeovers to be a subset. Like, obviously, you would get Takeover Brooklyn 2, Takeover Brooklyn 3, Takeover Brooklyn 4. So you could, if you wanted to... Um, do the history of TakeOver Brooklyn, if you wanted to. Um, this led into SummerSlam. The one in the Barclays Center that was that would have been TakeOver Brooklyn 5 was just labeled as TakeOver New York because it wasn't a lead into SummerSlam. That was entirely something different. It was the first time NXT was included in what they called at the time a sales triple header. If you were going to the Barclays Center, you could get a package ticket for TakeOver SummerSlam and Raw the next night. This was where we established the um, what would become the norm, what would become the signature of TakeOver is that, that stripped back black and white color scheme pulling away from the yellow of Full Sail that made TakeOver's feel different. It was the WWE debut of Jushin Thunder Lager, and it was the NXT in-ring debut of Apollo Crews, but we'll get to that when we get to it. The matches before this show took place that were take were taped sorry for the next episode of NXT as well that was something that i really liked when i when we'll get to NXT takeover toronto 1 and 2 when we get there in the timeline but i love this thing that they did where you didn't really have kickoff matches as much as you had these preliminary matches before the takeover that were the entire next week's episode of television cuz what it did was you had your takeover, and then you had a following week of television. I mean, the the, the episode of television after a pay-per-view is always like, ah, it's a bunch of catch-up and whatever. But it meant that at least for one more week, the NXT programming wasn't in full sale, and it still got to feel big. There was some leftover bigness. Imagine, imagine, and I don't think it'll ever happen in our lifetime, but imagine if the Raw after WrestleMania was filmed in the stadium that WrestleMania took place in. That's what this was for WWE, because you had full sale, you had arenas. Whereas WWE has arenas and stadiums, and uh, I don't think that'll ever happen, but you got that with NXT for a little bit. We start, and I'm not going to recount it verbatim, because everybody knows this speech by now. It's Triple H, the arena's dark, the spotlight's just on him, and you get the I pro probably one of the best. I mean the 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 hashtag we are NXT was all over the place at the time, but the famous Triple H we are NXT speech to begin the show was really cool. It was all that 
you know, handing it back to the fans, you know, this started as a whisper and you guys made it a revolution, blah, 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 blah. I, like I say, I'm not going to recount it because I won't do it any justice, but it is really cool. It is worth going back to see. And the very first time seeing NXT in a scope that big was a, was a really cool thing at the time. And I remember watching it at the time and thinking, I really hope this isn't a one-off. Like, that was my only thought going into this. The first match uh, is Tyler Breeze versus Jushin Thunder Liger. And like I say, Jushin Thunder Liger making not only his NXT debut, but his entire WWE debut. How did we get here? Since the announcement that w, uh, that NXT, sorry, would be going to New York, to going to Brooklyn, going to the Barclays Center, Tyler Breeze had been harassing General Manager William Regal for an opponent. And he says, all right, basically, you want an opponent? Here. Fuck off, I found you an opponent. Uh, and Jushin Thunderlanger shows up on screen and basically says, I'll see you in Brooklyn. I didn't, I mean, I knew who Jushin Thunderlanger was by name. I had never seen Jushin Thunderlanger in my life. So it's one of those, hey, I'm going to see this guy that I've heard about for a long time. You know, I compare it to anybody that's ever bigged up an indie person to me and then they've shown up on NXT or WWE, etc. I compare it to me going to Destiny, checking off your Spaz Phoenix bucket list and seeing Shotzi Blackheart and then a couple months later hearing that Shotzi had been signed to NXT. It's that, it was that kind of thing, but they had a, uh, WWE and NXT had a one-off deal with New Japan to have Jushin Thunder Liger there for the night. He was still there in New Japan. So, this was Forbidden Door before AEW did Forbidden Door. But then again, also, NXT would go on to do uh, Worlds Collide, which was Forbidden Door before there was a Forbidden Door. So, there's a bit of that. Uh, Breeze's entrance, he still has the, um, the, the supermodel entrance. He's got the Tyler Breeze 2015 collection uh, up on the Titantron, and he's got a bunch of supermodels that are dressed like buildings for reasons. Uh, I do believe this is the debut of the selfie stick. He was he had already been doing the selfie thing, as I talked about in the last episode, but this is where he debuted the fuzzy selfie stick, which was just part of his shtick. And as I say, my first time seeing Jushin Thunder Liger, my immediate first response is his entrance kind of sounds like video game music. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, is this his music in New Japan, or did WWE just give him generic entrance music 5? It's it's not the greatest. I mean, I'm sure whatever he used in New Japan was licensed to New Japan or licensed to whoever created it. So it is one of those cases where maybe they just did the best they could. I mean, at least they didn't recycle, like, Tensai's music or Kayentai's music or something like that, because that would be a bit problematic. But yeah, it's not... It's not wonderful. It, I, I'll say that. The match itself, Collar and Elbow have been a knockdown by Breeze, and he does the corner pose. He does this sort of Shawn Michaels lounging over the top turnbuckle thing. Side headlock by Breeze, a takedown by Liger, and Liger mimics the pose. It's good. Surfboard stretch by Liger. Um, I can't read my writing. Breeze reverses, and he gets him a shot to the gut. Tyler hits. Tyler goes high. Tyler hits him down and puts him back into the abdominal stretch once again. Monkey flip by Liger and Breeze face plants and Liger grabs the selfie stick to take a selfie. Very, very nice. Chop battle and Breeze goes for the mask. A super kick, a leg drop by Breeze, a front face lock and a kitchen sink. Oh yes, we love the kitchen sink. Tiger 
sorry, Tyler chokes Liger with his own arm, which is always good, and turns it into a back... That was what it was. Sorry, I lost myself in my own writing there for a second. Tyler Breeze had this cool thing, and the way he pulled it off was almost like a sling blade. But what he would do is he would wrap the guy's arm around his own neck and use that to pull him into a backbreaker. And it was really, really cool at the time. Tyler Breeze, I've said it before, he was NXT's Dolph Ziggler always underrated. I mean, in the early, early days, I mean, I think it was at Arrival, he was in the title picture. But after that, after, when we got out onto a big stage, the guy never got his flowers again after that. Knee drops to the face by Tyler Breeze in the front face, like a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker by Liger, a crucifix pin attempt by Breeze, a cannonball off the apron by Liger, and finally a Liger bomb gets the win for Jushin Thunder Liger. Now, I don't know whether this was part of the deal, whether New Japan said, yeah, you can have Jushin Thunder Liger, but he's got to win. I really do think, especially when you look back in hindsight, because he never came back again, you could have given Tyler Breeze the win here, unless that was part of the deal. But a very, very good opener. Uh, really good introduction to somebody like Jushin Thunder Liger, to somebody like me, who had never seen him, and a really nice showcase, and a really nice feather in the cap of Tyler Breeze to say, hey, we finally got TakeOver out of Full Sail, and the first person you see, the first one of our stars that you see, is Tyler Breeze. If you're not in the closer, you want to be in the opener. That's always been the, uh, the cliche in wrestling. I don't know that I agree with that all the time, because there is the other, the other way you go where you get dubbed the curtain jerker, and that's not exactly great. Um, something that happened in WWE and happens in AEW in their early days as well is you had like the Hardy Boys or the Young Bucks, depending on which company you're talking about, and they would always have the opener because they would always they were like the firecracker guys, and they would get the show up and going. Now, there's multiple things that are wrong with that. Is like first of all, if you dub them the opener guys, then how are they supposed to feel like they're ever going to make it to the main event? Also, if they're the firecracker guys that are meant to get the crowd up and going, you run the risk of getting the crowd up and going and then having them slant off. So, I don't necessarily agree with the, if you're not in the main event, you want to be in the opener all the time, but if that's the case, Tyler Breeze, great guy to put in the opener here. In the crowd, you see Kevin Nash and X-Pac and Scott Hall, which is sad now that you think about the loss of Scott Hall. You go backstage where Becky and Charlotte and Bailey, or sorry, Becky and Charlotte are backstage wishing Bailey good luck in her match against Banks. There's a lot of B's in there. Uh, I think they had already moved up at that point, so they were like coming back down for the night, which is... They leaned on it well a lot of the time, but then they did a thing where guys that had just gone up would come back for a night, and it was almost like they were giving the people that were still there a pat on the head, so that didn't always come off the best. And then we cut to a Nia Jax promo, because Nia Jax is coming to NXT soon. And, oh my god, if we only knew then what we know now. Tag team titles were on deck next. It was the Vaude Villains versus Blake and Murphy with Alexa Bliss, who we talked about in the last episode as well. I... I don't think I truly... I liked them. I thought they were funny. I don't think I truly appreciated how good and campy the VOD villains were at the time. That old-school, black-and-white, circus strongman, when they do the handshake and they go, manly! All that kind of thing. I always think of... When I look back on shows like this, I always think about the awesome wrestling, because that's what NXT gave you at the time. But they gave you 
people that think of NXT, black and gold, rock and roll, NXT, the way I always refer to it, they always think, oh, it's good, super serious matches and, and main events, and, you know, NXT was the super indie. They gave you a lot of fun shit, too. And it's unfortunate for me to even say, as somebody that sticks up for not only this brand, but this particular time period of this brand, that there was a lot of fun, good shit. The black and white, the, like, the circus entrance with the, with the circus crier doing the, doing the thing, you know, Aiden English, Simon Gotch, the Vaud villains, and then they do their funky little walk, and, and, uh, Gotch has the, the Andre the Giant one-strap singlet going on. Blake and Murphy are out there with Alexa Bliss. Blake and Murphy, since the last pay-per-view, are a lot more tolerable, because I have a reason to care now, and that reason is Alexa Bliss. I'm sorry, I know how that sounds, but Buddy Murphy had not grabbed my attention the way he did on the main roster, and Wesley Blake was there as Murphy's sidekick. It's fine. Um, the black and white entrance, like I say, is really, really cool. Uh, Blake Murphy and Alexa Bliss would do a lot of themed attires. Um, specifically, I remember when they did sort of like the Freddy Krueger look. This is when all three of them came out in sort of a uh, an Iron Man-esque attire, sort of capitalizing on the Marvel stuff that was happening at the time. Alexa Bliss cuts a pre-match promo on the VOD villains, and they introduce Blue Pants, who was only dubbed Blue Pants because of some comedic stuff that she had done with Enzo and Cass, to the point where her entrance is Enzo and Cass just badly humming the Price is Right theme, more or less. And it's just a pair of pants on the screen dancing around with shitty animation. It's absolutely fine. What's her name? Her actual name. I think it's Leva, it's Leva Bates, something like that. I'm not... I, I'm a terrible person for not looking that up, actually. Um, but, gotcha, this is for the Tag Team Championships. Um... Blue Pants is basically out there to neutralize Alexa Bliss, is she not? Uh, Gotch and Blake start, there's a faceplant to Blake, an armbar by Gotch. Arms, the working of arms is the story of this match. Arm drag armbar for Gotch. English continues working the arm, double overhead toss by English, and back to the arm once again. Blake tries, ties English up on the apron, hits him hard in the side of the head and the shoulder. Neck vice by Blake, a double mud hole stomp by Blake and Murphy. Grounded side headlocks by Murphy, and then by Blake! We're working the heads, we're working the arms, we're telling stories. It's fantastic. I probably didn't appreciate it at the time because I thought Blake and Murphy were boring as hell. Going back to look at it now, really good. Really, really simple, hey, I'm going to fuck up your arm, hey, I'm going to fuck up your head storytelling. I will say at this point, and uh, I don't think I talked about it as much in the other takeovers because I don't think they do it as much. This was really where they started doing the... Um, the crowd scroll at the bottom of the page, just, you know, random uh, Twitter accounts that were reacting to the show and, and using the hashtag NXT TakeOver, etc. Now, somebody will say, and I'm not sure what's true either way, let me be clear, uh, that these are all fake, that these are all plugged in, that these are all whatever. Um, I go back to... Uh, that time. And I say no for two reasons. A, because I can remember people on Twitter being like, hey, screenshot, they got my, my tweet up on the screen there, which is, you know, fine and, and whatever. But also, it's one of those who cares things. Right now, uh, we have Grayson Waller, when he does the Grayson Waller effect, and he has the scroll of texts and tweets that are definite, or should I say X's, which doesn't sound right, that are definitely fake. It's fine. It's absolutely cool. But at the time, when you really had this sort of groundswell around NXT, and it really did feel 
fake or not, that it was something that was driven by the fans, putting that at the bottom did add something to it. It's not going to change how you feel about the show. It's not even going to change how you feel about the match. But I did like it. Blake faceplants Gotch on the apron. It was a neckbreaker by Murphy. English tosses Blake into Murphy and they crack heads. Hot tag and rolling elbows by Gotch. Double power bomb from the top by Gotch. Swanton by... Aiden English. For whatever else you want to say about Aiden English. And this gimmick and this character at the time. Aiden English went on to do the stuff with, uh, with uh, Rusev as well. With the Rusev Day stuff. Aiden English's Swanton Bomb was fucking sweet. I will just say that. Gets a near fall off of that. Bliss and Blue Pants Brawl on the outside. That's some alliteration for you. Uh, Vaude Villains take advantage. They hit the Whirling Dervish. The Vaude Villains get the win. And they are your new tag team champions. It's... I don't know what to say other than it's fine. But here's this entertaining tag team that everybody's getting on board with. They've got Blue Pants, who are kind of a fan favorite. And it pissed off Alexa Bliss. And before Alexa Bliss came to the main roster and she was babyface for a little while and then they did the Fiend stuff and, you know, your opinion might vary on that. True pissed off Alexa Bliss in NXT was goaded. Like, this was before they watered down her character for the main roster. Like, Alexa Bliss could stare a hole through you. I'll never say that she was one of the best in ring. Like, she wasn't, like, the unsung fifth horsewoman or anything like that. I won't go into those types of, of terms. But the Alexa Bliss, the bitchy Alexa Bliss character could stare a hole through you and you could believe it. And that was awesome. But to do that, her team had to lose. That's just what it is. Now, what do we go on to next? We go on to my hometown boy, Ty Dillinger, taking on the new kid on the block, Apollo Crews. Now, how did we get here? In early 2015, WWE announced that they had signed Uha Nation, and he showed up at the PC on April 6th. On May 6th, on an episode of NXT, Apollo Crews actually came out to sign his contract. When they do stuff like that, I'll say this right now, WWE are promoting... Jade Cargill. I'm recording this on October 16th for anybody that cares. They are promoting Jade Cargill. They are, I've started calling it like the anti-surprise booking. They've put her up in the headlines. They've, they've shown all the headlines from the different sports outlets on TV. They've let you know that Jade Cargill is coming. They've let you know that Jade Cargill is a big deal. They're actually starting to turn me around on Jade Cargill, but that's another story for another day. When they make a point of signing a new talent and him doing his contract signing in the ring. It's not the same as when they do a contract signing for a match, because that's just a story-building plot device, which is a lot different. Um, because then you somebody tosses up the table, and, and you know we get into a brawl, and blah, blah, blah. But they did it with uh, Kenta, when Kenta came in and re-announced himself as Hideo Itami. They do the same thing here. He come out on NXT television to sign his contract. He starts working house shows that June. August 5th, it's announced that he will debut and take over Brooklyn, and his opponent will be Ty Dillinger. Um, the actual debut was on a taping that was done earlier on August 13th, but that wouldn't show until after this pay-per-view. So... For the television audience, anybody that wasn't in full sale, this is his in-ring debut. Apollo Crews, Ty Dillinger, uh, Ty Dillinger doing the perfect 10 stuff, the 10 chance, he's got the 10 shaved in the back of his head, which is awesome. Ty Dillinger is another one, like Tyler Breeze, over as hell, they never fully utilized him. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to try and get too tribal on this, but AEW hasn't either. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um... The other thing I will say, entrance-wise, is 
Apollo Crews has had a few variations on his entrance music. The music that he came in with the first time when he made his debut is the best entrance he's had. Everything else has been kind of lame by comparison. Now, I won't say much because this is just a quick exhibition. Let's see what both these guys can do. It's not anything offensive, but it's not anything particularly special either. Uh, Colorado Noble tie-up uh, by Ty Dillinger and a 10. He reversed by Cruz. 10. Dropkick by Cruz. Ty Dillinger kicks Cruz into a springboard. 10 stomps in the corner by Dillinger and he stomps on his face. 10. Head and arm lock by Dillinger. Super kick is blocked, and then he gets a second one that actually hits. Mounted punches by Dillinger and Integuri by Cruz and a lariat. Leaping lariat by Cruz and that really wicked gorilla press moonsault combination that he used to do for a quick win on his birthday, as the announcers are quick to tell us. This was really cool. This was a very, very effective hey, here's this guy's debut. He's Here's what he can do. Ty Dillinger is going to make him look like a million bucks. And it, it just did what it said on the tin. It's not going to set the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. Did what it said on the tin, but it made a statement about uh, WWE and NXT's intent with Apollo Crews at the time that he made his debut on pay-per-view rather than making his debut on a regular weekly episode of NXT. We go to the back where William Regal is there delivering an address to the crowd. I think this would have been cooler if... He came out to the ring to make these announcements, but I don't know whether he was physically in the building, so I don't know if that's possible, quite frankly. But William Regal thanking the crowd, thanking the NXT faithful for getting them to where they are to the point where they could do something in a place like Barclay Center rather than Full Sail. And he caps off by announcing the first ever Dusty Classic. Now, as you'll know, the first ever Dusty Classic wasn't for wasn't for any kind of title shot. They just got a trophy and all that kind of thing. It was leaning more on the tribute to Dusty Rhodes than they would lean on the actual, hey, you win this, you get a title shot, you get to move forward, etc. And that first ever Dusty Classic was won by the oddball tag team of Finn Balor and Samoa Joe. So, there you go. Speaking of Samoa Joe, the next thing we have coming up is Samoa Joe versus Baron Corbin. The story is pretty simple here. Corbin has had a string of dominance that we see in a video package. He's very, very much becoming the anti-indie guy. Basically, the guy that says, oh, that guy that you like so much because you saw him fight in a bingo hall, I'm going to slap the taste out of his mouth. I walked in here because they called me. I didn't have to call the WWE. He's been squashing everybody. He had that thing back in the day with Bull Dempsey over who could squash more uh, indie jobbers, which was fine. Samoa Joe shows up to basically be the roadblock on his path of destruction. It's pretty. You can't get much simpler than that. I, I know I keep going back to that. It's a big show. They've moved from Full Sail to Brooklyn, but... They've kept everything nice and simple. The Joe's Gonna Kill You chants are coming out nice and early. Baron Corbin has the better of his two NXT themes, which are better than anything he's had now. I do like his Burn the Ships music, but it's still not as good as some of the initial uh, Lone Wolf music that he had. This is just two big, strong guys beating the shit out of each other. So let's go. Collar and elbow tie up into Tessa String. Joe tries to ground Corbin in the early going to the corner, and Joe tries for the Kina Clutch early. Corbin bails. Suicide dive by Joe is blocked with a right hand by Corbin, and I love those things. I love when you get something as impressive as Samoa Joe flying through the air that's just stopped by Baron Corbin pulling out something as simple as a punch. Right out of midair, flat on his face. You gotta love it. 
Stiff kicks and right hands by Corbin and a single leg crab by Joe. Joe transitions into a crossface and locks up both arms into a modified rings of Saturn and looks like he's having fun doing it. Brawling on the outside, Joe tosses Corbin into a guardrail. Heel hook with a leg lace by Corbin, of all people. Um, and the commentary do a good job of putting over, like, that's not exactly in his wheelhouse. He follows that up by hitting a deep six, which is nice. Another insecurity by Joe, and both men trade strikes and boots. Modified suplex by Corbin in a mud hole stomp. Joe tries once again for the Kikina clutch, but Corbin gets out, hits him with the tree slam, which was another cool move in his locker at the time. Third time, Joe actually gets the Kikina clutch and wins the match by technical submission, which is really a really nice, interesting thing for them to specify, not only on the show, but on Wikipedia as well. This was a great... Um, I say this about a lot of people. I said it about uh, Apollo Crews in the, in, the, in the Ty Dillinger match. Joe doesn't need a coming out party. People knew who Samoa Joe was. Samoa Joe showed up on NXT already a star. But if anybody on NXT didn't know who Samoa Joe was, here's Samoa Joe. He's a fucking star, which is great. They pan back to the crowd, and they have Ric Flair and Sergeant Slaughter in the crowd with well-known Japanese star Kana who would go on to be Asuka, obviously. That just made me chuckle. Also in the crowd is Tamina and Naomi for reasons, and those reasons are that they are team bad along with Sasha Banks. Less said about that, the better. Let's be real for a moment. Out comes Stephanie McMahon. Now, it's cool to see Stephanie McMahon at an NXT show because she was the husband of Triple H. Triple H was the Papa, you know, Papa H of, of NXT, so she doesn't get booed like she would on the main roster. She comes out, does some typical like rah-rah stuff, talks about how cool it is to be here at NXT, uh, tells them about the attendance, and... Then she does the thing that WWE tries to get away with a lot. She says, I'm here to announce the first of our two main events. Just just don't do it. Just the main event is the last match. Let's let's not. Like and you, you get into a larger conversation now about WrestleMania weekend, and it's like, oh well, this person's very special. They're in the night one main event. No, the the main event is the last match. The main event is the last match. WWE tried to get away with this for weeks. Remember that WrestleMania where they said they had four four main events? And I'm like, no, you don't. You have one main event, and you have three other matches that you want to feel like main events, but you didn't put them in the main event slot. Anyways, it is Becky versus Sasha. I'm not even going to bother going over all the issues that I have with Sasha Banks, because you guys know what they are. At this point, we get a video package of Super Babyface Bailey getting turned on by all the horsewomen at one time or another. Lots and lots of underdog stuff. And then we see how she beat Becky and Charlotte on her way to getting her title shot against Sasha. Bailey comes out, she's got Dusty Rhodes polka dots on her ring gear, which is nice, and she's got the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Now, looking back on this now and seeing the wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man always reminds me of her heel turn, where she came out with a giant board with a spike on it and killed all the tube men, because that was awesome. Then she took the hoodie off and we saw that the side ponytail was gone, and everything changed since then. Anyways... 
My opinion of Sasha Banks aside, I can't take away from the fact that this is a fantastic fucking match, and Sasha Banks did her part in it, I suppose. Double leg by Bailey to start. Mounted punches and a low running elbow. Bailey eats the turnbuckle hard. Sasha eats it even more and puts her in a tree of whoa. Low elbow drop to the upside down Sasha. We get the Sasha's ratchet chance, which I had forgotten about until I did the last episode, and they make me smile. Springboard arm drag takedown by Bailey. Kick to the kick through the bottom rope, which always looked really awkward. I don't know how she pulled it off, but it was always pretty damn good. Sasha misses the double knees and gets a gut buster on the top rope by Bailey. Neck vice by Sasha straight in and bleh. Neck vice by Sasha and she turns it into a straight jacket choke and the two of them trade forearm shots. Boot by Bailey and rolls into a headlock with shots to the head. Arm bar outside the ring. Sasha unwraps the hand and steps on it because Bailey had had hand issues leading up into the match, which is nice. She slaps Sasha. Bailey t uh, tosses her to the outside of the ring. Both of them trade punches on their knees, showing the wear and tear of the match. Back elbows by Bailey. Corner exploder by Bailey. Armbar driver into the bank statement. I, I used to remember the armbar driver. Why don't they do that anymore? Armbar driver by Bailey into the bank statement. Bailey hits a bank statement and then a belly to belly, which is nice. I've got that written in nice capital letters because it's super cathartic to me. Sasha Banks blocks a top rope Rana and Bailey lands super hard and it looks really, really ugly. We get the super poison Rana spot that everybody talks about. The Bailey to Belly is what gets the win for Bailey and she is your new champion. It's really bizarre because the super poison Rana is what everybody equates with this match and because it is a pretty decent like we are the women's division and we're planting our flagpole on pay-per-view match like i said it's hard for me to be unbiased because i have my opinion of sasha banks bailey's awesome sasha's awesome in this match i guess and that one moment that super poison ronda that everybody talks about is is I guess the punctuation point of the match, but you forget that they both get back up and Bailey hits a belly to be Bailey to belly to get the actual win. Now, Charlotte and Becky are watching. They all come to the ring. They have that moment, and this is where everybody again kind of split decision. Like, oh, don't they all hate each other? Don't they all hate each other? No, they had a moment outside of kayfabe. The four of them in the ring, uh, in the ring together. Sorry celebrating what the four of them had done for women's wrestling was awesome. They throw up the four horsewomen sign, and that's when the... Um, there's another shot. I said uh, the iconic speech by Triple H at the beginning, the We Are NXT speech is iconic, the Super Poison Rana from this match is iconic, and the, the collected shot of the four of them for the four horsewomen shot is also pretty iconic, and we pan to Seth Rollins in the crowd for some reason. This is really good. Don't let my biases get in the way of the fact that this is really good, really good match, really awesome moment for Bailey, and a nice sort of tender moment for the four of them uh, for what they had all achieved, considering that three of the four of them were now on the main roster. They were doing... That was that weird, you know, Stephanie McMahon sort of created women's wrestling, and then you had Team PCB and Team Bad and Team Bella and all that weirdness, and Bailey stayed in NXT to basically drive the NXT ship. Um, so sort of a bittersweet moment, but an awesome moment nonetheless.
Before we get into the main event, one last little piece of business. Yeah, Triple H come back out and say that, hey, you know, we're, we, we're happy to be at Brooklyn tonight. We're happy to, you know, make this next step, but we're not stopping there. We are going to take over London. And this is where they started leaning into the name TakeOver as a heavy, heavy pun, because they were going to go over to London, they were going to do some house shows, and they were going to do actual NXT TakeOver London, which was a huge announcement, because other than Beast in the East... Around this time, the idea of doing, like, steady over overseas pay-per-views was not like it is now. Like, it was a huge... Like, Beast in the East, even though it was kind of a big house show, was a huge deal. It's not like now, where you get... Uh, we've got Elimination Chamber coming up in Australia. They did a super showdown in Australia. They have the Saudi Arabia deal, for however you want to think about that. You did Backlash in San Juan, Puerto Rico. You did Money in the Bank. Why are we beeping? Why is this a thing? We did Money in the Bank in the UK. We did Clash at the Castle in Wales. And it doesn't seem out of the ordinary anymore. But this was... This was the super indie offshoot of WWE venturing over to London, not only to do a tour, but to do a proper pay-per-view. That's a huge, huge deal. Now, what else is a huge deal is Finn Balor versus Kevin Owens in a ladder match for the NXT Championship. Now, how did we get here? As we talked about last time on Unstoppable, KO fought Sami Zayn to a ref stoppage to walk out with that bell. I mean, it was interrupted at the end with the emergence of Samoa Joe, but it is what it is. Balor went on to beat Kevin Owens at Beast in the East in Tokyo, and KO demanded not only a rematch, but a ladder match. Balor accepts, and we're off to the races. Again, very, very super simple. Uh, really cool because Beast in the East wasn't an NXT show. It was a WWE show. So the, um, what do you want to say? The um, NXT brand at that time being represented on the main roster wasn't an all-the-time thing. They did that random one tag team match on Raw, and it felt like you were watching something out of Bizarro Land. I'll say it again, and I'll say it like I said it the last time, and I know I've said it before. The Finn Balor entrance, the Finn Balor entrance in the Barclays Center, was like watching a rock concert. The reaction, the the immediate love that that crowd had for not only Finn Balor but this iteration of Finn Balor, the scope of it, the um, the way he kind of absorbs everything from the fans, and it's like almost a really really visceral experience and. Like I said last time, his original music is better than the remix that he's using right now with the Judgment Day. I like it, but it's not as good. Um, at WrestleMania, when he came back as the demon to fight Adam, or sorry, I was going to say Adam Copeland because that's what he is now. When he came to fight Edge in Hell in the Cell, and he was like the purple demon, it was kind of like Diet Demon Finn Balor, if that was a if that was a Mountain Dew flavor, but it is what it is. Super awesome. I'm always going to say that the Finn Balor entrance is one of the best entrances that wrestling has had in like 20 years, but that's just me being biased. A lot of trash talk from Kevin Owens, and there's a beat down in the corner by Balor and a dropkick and Irish whip, uh, chop combination by Balor, stiff back elbow by KO, and a senton. KO was another one when he came in, uh, much like Samoa Joe, that... Um, he was just fitting that mold of, oh my god, look at all this stuff that a big guy can do. And we shouldn't be surprised, and we shouldn't be, like, stereotyping people into, like, oh, a skinny guy can do this, and a, and a I don't want to say a fat guy, but a larger guy can do this. But, like, it shouldn't have been... A, we had people, like, way before these guys that were big guys doing stuff like this, but it was still 
whatever the next statement-making thing was for guys of a certain type being able to fly around, you had Samoa Joe, who realistically did it in the um, in the X Division in TNA, but you have Kevin Owens, who I'm sure did it in ROH, but I wasn't watching him in ROH. I watch big companies. Uh, <laughs> that sounded like I'm being an asshole. I'm sorry. But between the two of them, between Kevin Owens and Samoa Joe, you had these two big guys that were proven that they could just fly around the ring. Kevin Owens doing the cannonball is always awesome. They trade some more shots. There's a headbutt by KO. There's a sling blade by Balor. Balor is the first person to grab a ladder, and KO fights him for it on the ramp. KO pins Balor to the apron, staple style, and then runs up and kicks him in the face. More brawling on the outside, and they brawl through the crowd. Backdrop by Balor. Owens crashes Balor into the tabletop. Dropkick off the tabletop into Balor. Suicide dive by Balor, and Owens tosses him out into the ladder. Pele kick by Balor, a lariat by KO. Uh, ladder to the gut by KO, a front slam on the ladder and a senton by KO because that would hurt even more because you're not on the mat. They trade some more punches, backdrop onto the ladder, edge by Balor. KO gets wedged in between. He does this weird thing because backdrop, um, sorry, Kevin Owens is backdropped onto the edge of the ladder as it's sort of sat up on its end, but Kevin Owens's body splits the ladder and it's just like, if you've split the metal ladder, what have you done to your spine? KO cannonball misses and he hits the ladder with his back, which had to suck. Coup de gras by Balor. Balor climbs the ladder, gets power bombed off the ladder by Kevin Owens. Penalty kick by Balor on the apron and an apron bomb by KO and a super kick. The apron bomb really was one of Kevin Owens' kill shots back in the day. He starts yelling after the after the apron bomb and the super kick. Kevin Owens literally starts yelling at him, "You need to stay the fuck down." Without the fuck, obviously. They battle up to the top, Balor tosses KO off and into another bridged ladder, and then he comes off of his ladder that's still standing with a top of the ladder, coup de gras, makes his way back up to the top, climbs the ladder, gets the belt, Finn Balor is still your champion. Awesome main event. Awesome, awesome main event. Finn Balor, star. Kevin Owens, star. Both of these things are currently very, very, very obvious. And I will still say... As petty as this sounds, I hated that belt. And a ladder match, you have the belt hanging in your face the whole time. So a little bit of me is like, I really hate that belt. Like, these are two guys that I like climbing for a belt. I want them to be climbing for a belt that I like. I know that sounds super petty and tedious, and I'm sorry. But it is the case. When they went to... Not the version that they had now, but the version of the belt they have now without the unicorn puke on it. Um, instantly better. I don't remember what pay-per-view that is where they switch all the belts over, but it's, it's really good, and I'm going to be happy about it when it happens, and I'm going to tell you how happy I am about it when it happens. As a show, um, it sounds like I'm giving them a hair ruffle and a pat on the back, but this was a great first outing for NXT as far as being out of full sale. Great main event as a way of saying, like, hey, here's what you can expect from our main events. I mean, you put people like Kevin Owens and Finn Balor in that position, obviously. It was a real statement for what they were doing for women's wrestling at the time, the the match that Sasha Banks and Bayley had. It would also lead to what we're going to talk about next time at TakeOver Respect, where they not only main event, but they have the Iron Woman match 
that I think was the last Sasha Banks match in NXT before she came back for some crossover stuff a couple years later. So they're setting the table with that there. They snuck in the announcement about the Dusty Cup, which is now a thing, which they've just announced is coming back uh, recently. Uh, they set the table for London, which, like I say, is a huge thing because even mainstream WWE wasn't going overseas that often. So they gave you a show and they gave you a want to see more. That is all you can ask for from a pay-per-view. Fantastic statement by NXT the very first time they were in Brooklyn. And when I come back next time, I'm going to be talking about a show that's back in full sale again. So as good as it probably is, it's going to feel smaller. And I'm probably going to talk about that at the time. I think Respect mostly focuses around the Dusty Classic as well, which is kind of cool. It'll be a different spin on, uh, on what a takeover is for this series. I hope you guys are liking this. Please throw your comments down in the box below. Please throw your memories down in the box below. If you were at the first TakeOver Brooklyn, I'd love to hear your experiences down in the box below as well. Please share this with your friends because I really do want this series to take off. And uh, that's about it. I've been Spaz, your YWC reality check. Subscribe up there. Talk down there. Start a conversation. Keep all these conversations going. Don't be a stranger. I will talk to each and every last one of you later. But for right now, I am tagging out. Bye, guys.